Good morning, 9 a.m. Good to see you guys. I am up here a lot at 10.30, but I don't see this crowd very often, so it's nice to see you this morning. I'm going to open this morning with a question. Have you ever met someone that you thought was totally random and turns out they're really someone quite important? Um, I have a couple of stories of this happening to me. Uh, one was back in 2012. I had just moved here, and my dad, who had driven out here with me, and I decided to go see Broncos training camp. If you, you know, that was the year Peyton Manning joined the Broncos, so everyone was very excited. We don't have an NFL team in Portland where I'm from, so we went to the training camp on a hot August afternoon, very excited, saw practice, it was really neat, and then autographs come. And so, to our astonishment, right, quarterback number 12 starts walking directly towards us and he's right over here and I'm like oh my gosh I might get Peyton Manning's autograph today this is great and then everyone lost their minds okay so like all the adults start trampling each other and there's kids getting stepped on and everyone's just like getting yelled at stay back stay back so I chose I didn't want to play that game it's not like he's a cool guy but I don't want to get physically injured trying to get Peyton Manning's autograph so I look up, and there's, a, there's a, a nice guy walking straight towards us, and his name was Chris. This is a picture of Chris. So I didn't know who Chris was, but Chris is a very nice man. And so he just came up, and he's like, hey, I'm Chris. I play, I play DB. I was like, cool, you know, nice to meet you. And he signs my, signs my poster or whatever. And um, at the end of the day, it was the only, only autograph I went home with. And so I assumed that I knew lots about the Broncos roster and that I would know if a player was a big deal. So a couple of months later when we moved, I tossed that in the trash on our way out the door. Um, And it turns out Chris Harris Jr. is a big deal. Um, (laughs) As you may know, a three-time pro bowler and first team all pro in 2016. But he wasn't even drafted, turns out, which I didn't know, which is cool. But have you ever met someone that you thought was totally random and turned out to be someone very Important. I have another story, um, slightly different, but um, still significant in my life. Um, again, my dad and I were flying back from Stanford University um, up to our home in Oregon. I was visiting the school. It was a dream school of mine at the time. And so we're on the plane, um, and we had just gone to see the football game, Oregon versus Stanford. Now, I'm from Oregon, so it was a great game because Oregon pummeled Stanford. Um, but we see a guy sitting next to us wearing some Stanford gear, and he's also playing this cool, I've never seen another one. It's this, like, fold-up travel guitar for practicing. And so I was learning to play guitar, and obviously we've been to the game, so we start a conversation with this guy. And it just so happens that he's wearing Stanford gear because his son plays for the Cardinal. As a linebacker, we said, wow, that's really cool. You must live in, do you live in Oregon? Yeah, I live in Oregon. Oh, what high school did he play at? He goes, oh, he plays at Lake Ridge High School, or played at Lake Ridge High School. And I go, well, that's interesting, because that's the school I go to. Um, and it just so happened that he um, actually lived 10 houses away from us. Um, and he was a fantastic guitar player and vocalist. And my dad's band at the time was looking for a guitar player and a vocalist. And then it just so turned out that he had a daughter, one year ahead of me in school, who was really cool and became a friend of mine. And it just so happened that this daughter went to a local youth group and started inviting me to it. Um, And it just so happened that she invited me to go to summer camp with her. And despite my hesitancy about going to church camp, I went. And it just so happened at that summer camp that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preach. And it made sense to me for the first time. And I got saved at that summer camp. And it just so happens at that same summer camp, I met a blonde-haired girl wearing peace earrings Uh, with a very spunky attitude, who's now my wife. (laughs) She's sitting right there, okay? Have you ever met someone? Have you ever met someone that you thought was just totally random 
It ended up being very important. We're going to be reading a story just like that today. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. The verses are also in your notes this morning, um, and they'll also be up on the screens. Ultimately, this story is about a seemingly random encounter with a seemingly average person that turns out to be anything but. So we're going to read the story. If you guys can follow along with me in your notes. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. It turns out there's no such thing as an ordinary encounter with Jesus, And that's what this entire sermon series has been about. And so let's dive into what's really going on in this passage, and we'll end with a couple of questions, I think, that are really uh, poignant for our lives. So where are we? What's going on? Setting the scene. Jesus has just begun his public ministry, okay? And prior to this story, we read an interesting story about him going into a synagogue on a Sunday, which is, you know, their version of church, reading a passage from Isaiah that talks about the coming messianic king and the day of the Lord, putting the scroll down and saying, I'm that guy, that's me. Then they try and kill him. So, average day of church. Um, so now Jesus is a traveling rabbi, traveling teacher, which was somewhat common, that wasn't unique to him. I mean, he's working the area, knew where he grew up. So the Lake of Gennesaret is just a local dialect name for the Sea of Galilee, which you may have heard of. It's in the north of Israel, it's still there today. Um, And so, as you might expect, the world's best teacher has quite a following, okay? And so, as the crowds get to the point where Jesus is looking for a way to connect better with them, they're pressing in on so much that they can't hear him, right? There's no microphones back then, um, and they're really, really handy to talk to large groups of people. And so, when he's outside and there's all these people crowding in, he sees the lake, and he sees the boats, and he sees an opportunity. So, he goes down to these fishermen who just worked all night and says, hey, you're going to row me out. I'm going to borrow you in your boat, and you're going to row me out. So, he creates a natural amphitheater. Right, So he takes the boat, he goes a little ways from shore, and he turns the shore into an amphitheater so people can hear him better. And so um, he begins to teach from the boat. And I think what's awesome is there's a little detail that says Jesus sat down and began to teach. In the ancient world, the teacher sat and all the other people stood. So just put that in your notes. Um, 
wouldn't be so good today. Um, it's fine. Actually, I hate sitting and talking. So um, does someone stand up over here just now? <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so after the teaching from Jesus is finished, and we're not totally sure what he said um, there specifically, um, the story takes a turn. It gets a little bit more interesting. So Jesus turns to Simon, okay, the owner of the boat, and says, hey, take this boat and put it out over there in the deeper water and let your nets down. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that a tradesman like Simon loved it when a white-collar, so to speak, rabbi tells him how to do his job. I mean, you can hear it in his voice kind of when he says, Sir, we fished all night and caught nothing, but at your word, we'll do it. I mean, he's not like, oh, you bet you, you bet you, sir. Um, it's, like, it's like me, being, who's useless at repairs, um, going to an electrician and being like, hey, I know you're having a hard time, but just connect the blue one and the green one, and it'll be great. You know, just like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I don't think he'd appreciate my advice. Um, and my wife told me when I was reading this to her last night, you know, her job is to go to delivery guys who deliver 300-pound kegs all day and tell them how to do it better, right? I don't know if you've seen my wife. She's not 300 pounds, um, and she's not a man. So uh, she's like, I don't feel qualified to tell them how to do this at all. But, um, you know, sometimes you got to do that. Um, but this is not modern-day America, right? This is what we, it's called, and it's still in some places in the world exists, in honor and shame culture. This is a very common cultural um, piece in the ancient world of honor and shame. And so Jesus is due honor as a rabbi. And so it would be dishonoring to Jesus for, for Simon to say no to the request. So Jesus could basically ask Simon to do anything he wants, and he can't really say no without bringing great shame upon himself. So, you know, Simon's probably not even 20 years old. So, again, he probably had a little eye roll. But he does it anyways. Okay, so I think we can imagine that. But that's when this ordinary meeting turns into something extraordinary. So let's go back to verses 6 and 7. When they had done so, rowed out into the deeper water, let their nets down in broad daylight. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Do you ever have a day where it seems like nothing can go wrong? They're definitely not common days, and if they are for you, let's talk after church, because I'd like to know what your secret is. But if we think hard enough, I think all of us can go back to a day or two at least where things just went great. Everything went like you planned or better. And so since the story today is a fishing story, I was reminded of a day this past fall where my wife and I went camping um, down in the Roaring Fork Valley area. And we were a decent ways off the, the beaten path, but we weren't anywhere remote. But for some reason, no one was around. I mean, it was October the fall colors were unbelievable. The weather was, it was so warm and fantastic. We didn't see anyone except the ranger who drove through to make sure we were at our site and didn't get eaten by a bear. Um, and the fishing was unbelievable. I've caught so many fish, I got tired of catching fish. It's like, you know, most times I go fishing, I'm reminded why they call it fishing and not catching. You know what I mean? Um, but this is one of those days where I just couldn't miss. It was a fantastic, I mean, Lindsay, who doesn't fish that much, but we had fun, she caught double-digit numbers that day. It was just one of those days, okay? Now, fishing is a hobby for me. Fishing is a career for Simon and his partners, right? This is their livelihood. And the dramatic reversal of a night with no success, followed by a catch so great that their boats literally are sinking from the weight of the fish, right? That's nothing short of miraculous. And Simon is no fool, right? He knows that this isn't a coincidence. Um, 
And instead of jumping up and down like I might do or boasting to all the crowds watching, right? You have to remember there's a large audience watching this happen or thinking about how wealthy they just became in a moment. Instead, he turns to the rabbi at the back of the boat. This rabbi who just so happened to ask him to row out so he could teach the crowds that day and who just so happened to suggest putting his nets in the water over there just a little ways further. This morning, do you realize, and I was realizing this as I wrote, do you realize this story does not happen if Simon is not open to suggestion? It says no, if he says no to Jesus at all, right? If it works, I mean, he's worked all night. And Jesus says, hey, I know you're about to go home. Can you row me out while I teach? And this could have been hours. We don't know how long Jesus taught for. If he says no to that, if he says no to Jesus' request to put the nets in, none of this story happens. And so I wonder this morning, if you're more of a yes person or a no person, are you more of a yes person or a no person? And what I mean by that is this, are you the kind of person who's open and expecting for what God might do through seemingly random encounters or interactions, or are you shut down, closed off, and determined to stick to your plans, your course, your actions for the day? And I know for me, if I'm not careful... Um, I can end up shooting down any idea or anything that deviates from the plan I've made for myself in my head because it's just easier that way, right? To just say, well, no, I don't want to, no, we're not going to do that. No, no, no. That's a nice idea. Maybe tomorrow, right? But just say no first all the time. And I have to catch myself from doing that, right? Because I can get stuck in a rut and I get so focused on the way that I see things going in my head that I completely shut off the possibility that God might have a better plan for me today. And I'm not talking like, 30,000 foot view, I'm talking about everyday interactions where we say no to something that maybe we should say yes to. And is that the way you tend to approach life? I know some of us are naturally yes people and we, like everything's an opportunity and there's no reason not to do something, but a lot of us are no people and that sometimes is good. But are you living with expectation? Are you living open-handed and open-hearted to say, God might do something today that changes my life and I want to be available to that. I don't want to say no too quickly. But Simon was willing. We don't know how he felt. We can imagine, right? When you have a depressing day at work, which was a depressing night at work for him, and it's daytime, and he just wants to go sleep and just say, hey, we'll just try again tomorrow. That wasn't fun. And instead, sees his day get dragged on and on and on. It's easy for him to have said no. It would have been easy for me to say no. He didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus is just a rabbi. There's lots of rabbis. But he says yes. Because of that, his entire life changed, and indirectly, our lives have changed as well. And so after this miraculous catch of fish, Simon stops and looks at this rabbi named Jesus, and he puts two and two together. And this is what happens in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees in a boat full of fish and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Suddenly, this rabbi is more than just a rabbi. Simon's response is characteristic of a lot of Old Testament encounters with God where the person who who sees God's face in some way, in a vision or directly, says uh, they're suddenly painfully aware of their own 
brokenness, their own inability to stand before such a holy and powerful being. They're viscerally aware of their smallness and sinfulness. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 6, right? In in verse 5, Isaiah has, has a vision. He doesn't see God's face, but he sees God's throne room. And he sees his throne. He sees the beings around him who declare his glory day and night. He hears his voice thundering through the room. And this is what he says. He says, woe is me. For I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I remember that night at the summer camp I talked about earlier, where I finally uh, had the blinders, so to speak, of self-deception taken off, and I was vividly aware of my actual condition, my actual sinful heart. Um, And never before and never since have I ever felt so small, so vulnerable, and so weak. And like Isaiah, I knew that before a holy God, I was nothing. For the first time in my life, I saw myself as I really was. And the only thing I could possibly do in that moment was just declare the words, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. Please forgive me. And I've never felt that way, and I never have since. Um, And I've got no problem saying those words today, but I know that there's a tremendous barrier in the human heart that refuses to want to admit that truth about ourselves. And it took me avoiding God for a number of years before he really came and did me the mercy of showing me who I really was. Um, And of course, through Jesus, right, he's forgiven me, and now there is no condemnation, there is no shame, there is no guilt. Um, And so when I stand before him, I don't feel small, I feel loved. There's a true identity that's found in him, an identity of one who is known, who is liked, someone who is enough. And all of us live, and I'm not perfect yet, but all of us live under some kind of false identity. Sometimes we make them up for ourselves. We like to hide behind our accomplishments or our lack of them. Sometimes other people put them on us by the things that they say about us or what has been spoken over us by people we trust or how we're perceived by other people. But guys, if you're taking notes this morning, our true identity can only be found when we see Jesus for who he really is. I want you to look closely at verse 8. It's still up here. All through the story, and even after it for a while in Luke, the main character besides Jesus is a guy named Simon. Now, Simon's a very common name in Hebrew in this time period. But in verse 8, right here, for just a moment, we get a glimpse of Simon's true identity when it says, Simon Peter. When Simon Peter saw this, everywhere else, he's just Simon. And he becomes Peter later on. But right here, he's Simon Peter. And if you know your Bible, right, you know that Peter means Petros, which is, which is Greek for rock. And when Jesus, or when Peter declares Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the coming King, you know, Jesus says, your name is Petros. You are the rock. And the early church rallies around Peter as the rock for which the early church is built around and organized around. And right here, when Simon looks at Jesus, and sees that he's not just an ordinary rabbi. Luke, the author, gives us a glimpse of Simon becoming more true in his identity. That Simon's coming closer to who he was meant to be because he now sees Jesus for who he really is. Now, we don't know if Simon believed that Jesus was was God. We don't know that he he fully understood, but we know he looks at Jesus and he knows God is working through this man somehow, some way, right? Because he falls down 
And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The only time that ever happens in the Old Testament is when someone comes face to face with God. But the point I want to make is that Simon's changing perception of Jesus' identity is the backbone of this story that we're reading today. And I think it's also the backbone of the story of you and I that we live, right? So the question that this poses to us as the readers is this. Who is Jesus to you? Simple question, but it's a profound question. Who is Jesus to you? And I want to make sure that we try and avoid the mistake of trying to answer this question too quickly this morning. Who is Jesus to you? At the most basic level, I can pose this question another way. Is Jesus who he said he was or not? And here's what Jesus said about himself, or at least some of it. Jesus believed about himself that he was God incarnate, that he's not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he's the only way to being restored to the Father, that he's the Alpha and the Omega, that he is eternal and has existed before the creation of time and space, that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that Jesus is without sin, that he's alive today after being executed on a Roman cross, and that he is the one who's going to come and return and set all things right once and for all on planet Earth. Is that the Jesus that you know? Or do you prefer maybe another less culturally offensive version? And if you do believe this morning, which I hope is most of it, that Jesus is who he said he is, then the question goes a little bit deeper for us. And Pastor Patrick preached on this a few weeks ago. Where are the edges of your faith in Jesus? Where are the edges of your understanding of who he really is? Where are you growing in your understanding of him? We see in this particular story that Jesus is provider, right? Any of you in here who work in sales or some kind of field where money doesn't just come in at the exact same time every month, the exact same amount every month, know what it's like to feel a little bit out of control of your circumstances and your income, right? And in this story, Jesus goes to a guy just like that, right? And there are not a lot of social services in the ancient world, right? So if they don't catch fish, they don't eat, like directly. It's not like they catch money and trade it for food, right? Like a lot of, like that's how our economy works. They just catch fish and they, they eat it and sell it. And so is Jesus dependable to you? Or is that an area that you'd admit you're still growing in? Is Jesus good all the time to you? Or have you been wrestling with whether or not that's actually true? And I know that I wrestle with that. Is Jesus good all the time? Who is Jesus to you? Because the more clearly that we can see who Jesus actually is, the more, le- more clearly we can start to see ourselves for who we actually are. Not just our flaws like being prone to worry or anger, but also our gifts and our passions and our talents. Because those things find their home in the one who put them there in the first place. So to wrap up this morning, it's important to remember that miracles like this one are never an end in themselves. They always point to something greater. And so in this case, it points to Jesus' identity as the one who has the power over the sea. And that's a power that only God possesses. And so this revelation to Simon and his partner sets up the following exchange at the end of the story, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus never interacts with us for no reason. 
All right? We don't always get to see what the reason is, but nothing that Jesus does is arbitrary. For Simon, James, and John, it wasn't random that Jesus asked them to row him out so he could teach that afternoon. It probably seemed random, but to Jesus, it was not random. In fact, we probably, we don't know, but Jesus probably knew long before this moment arrived that these three young men were supposed to start following him that day. And all this interaction takes place. So the invitation in verse 10 makes sense to these three young men, right? So from our perspective, this seems like an easy decision because we know 2,000 years later how the Jesus thing ends up right? Um, We kind of know where the end of the story goes. But put yourself in their shoes for a moment, okay? Let's go back and put ourselves in their place right now. They just had a career day on the water, career day, catching so much fish, they will never come close to catching that much fish again. This one day is going to make them wealthier than ever before. And I love verse 11 has this detail that after they brought their boats to shore, right? Partly this tells us they didn't actually sink, which is good. Um, But it also means that as soon as they secured the single best day of fishing they could ever have as fishermen, Jesus asked asked them to walk away from it and follow him into something new. Now, the tempting choice but the wrong choice would be to focus so much on the thing that God had provided that we refuse to leave them for the giver who provided them in the first place. And when we follow Jesus and when we're new to faith, a lot of times we follow Jesus because of the things that he gives us. Peace, community, and hope and joy. But the longer we walk with him, the more we realize that Jesus is the gift himself. That following Jesus for for Jesus' sake is enough. And though they'd be walking away from the most success that they'd ever experienced, They now put their trust in someone other than themselves and something other than their occupations. Their obedience, when we read this story, seems radical, right? They left everything and followed him. If you consider what they left behind. But it seems logical if you know who they left it behind for. And as we close this morning, my last question to you is this. What is Jesus calling you to do? What is Jesus calling you to? And it may be something significant, like a career change. It may be something less outwardly noticeable, like choosing to put your spouse before yourself this week, or finally taking that first step towards generosity. And my guess is that for a lot of us, we don't know. We sit here, I ask you that question, and your mind is blank. And I think that's probably because we haven't asked him in a long time. And so let this morning be a change if that's the case for you. We have a response time built in to this service at this church so that we can ask, Lord, what are you calling me to? What are you saying this morning? Where are you leading me? Because you never know what he might say. So this morning, what is Jesus calling you to do? Now, before I pray and send us into that response time this morning, um, I need to change gears for a moment and share something that God's been speaking to my wife and I over the past few months. While I believe that all of us have a calling in life, um, I also believe that we have multiple assignments along the way. Um, And a couple of months ago, as we were taking the time to seek the Lord and ask the Lord, what do you have for us? What are you calling us to? 
God spoke very plainly to us that um, the, our assignment here at South Suburban is coming to an end. So, so the heavy heart that I have to say this morning, that while I believe that Lindsay and I are called to ministry um, in the church, he's guiding us into a season away from church ministry starting at the end of June. And despite our feelings of fear, sadness of loss at being called away from this community, we are choosing to be obedient to that call because we know who it is that we're following. And we trust that he's gonna take care of us. But this sermon is not about me. I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about him. So who is Jesus to you? Who's the Jesus that you know? Who's the Jesus that you pray to? And what is he calling you to? Where is he asking you to grow? Where is he asking you to take a step of faith? And maybe most importantly, are you willing to obey what he says? If you're here this morning,